everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show live today from RGS Exteriors. Hanging out with our good friends over here, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott. We're going to talk to John Canzano coming up here momentarily. Had a call him out yesterday with, uh, well, he had a, a bunch of different things uh, in the same column regarding the uh, Pac-12 network, Gordon. We'll talk to him about some of the news he broke, which, which I don't know, really surprised me yesterday. I found that very interesting. Yeah, I don't know how much of it was overly surprising. It's just uh, because of there's been a trend here of, of, of things that, I, I don't know, just seemed out of joint. So it'll be good to uh, talk to John. He does uh, terrific work, uh, not only covering the Oregon schools up there, of course, uh, but uh, the Pac-12 is a conference overall. So we'll talk to him about, uh, you know, lots of different things. But I, we, I thought his column yesterday was, was really, really interesting. He, he did talk about um, how some of the Pac-12 network employees, most of them were furloughed or laid off. There was a report today. In fact, I think uh, John himself may have broken the news um, that uh, – uh, and I'm trying to get the number right. In fact, Pac-12 has informed 50 furloughed employees that they will be returning to work in waves over the next several weeks per source. So that's at least some good news coming out of all this. 50 employees hopefully can get back to work uh, sooner rather than later. It sounds like they're going to kind of bring some back a, a little bit of a, a little bit at a time. But the the problem remains, and we talked about this yesterday, and this was included in his column, that the Pac-12 doesn't have any football to air. I mean, they don't really have any product to put on their network. Well, there is that. Uh, what do you say? Two games are going to be televised by the Pac-12 maybe, Network? Maybe two on the last week of the season. Maybe. Maybe only one. <laughs> Jeez, that is that's yeah. pretty amazing. Uh-huh. It's tough to... It's tough to have a network when you don't have anything to put on it. Uh, with that in mind, let's jump out to the to the T-Mobile special guest line. He's a columnist for the Oregonian. He also does radio on 750 The Game and K-O-R-E 1050 in Eugene. Friend of the big show, John Canzano with us. Hi, John. How are you doing? I'm happy to be on the big show. Good stuff, man. Appreciate you guys. Yeah, we appreciate you, and we, we talked about your column yesterday uh, a lot, John, and some of the things that uh, that you brought to the table. And if you will, will you start with uh, the, the basically report that everything we've been hearing from the Pac-12 about how they decided to forge their own way with Pac-12 networks, and this was a, an innovative, forward-thinking idea that might not have been the case? Yeah, I mean, I think we look back to the narrative that they have – created in the narrative they've created is that they were forward thinking that they wanted to own their own rights and all of that but i talked to people who were there when the network was formed the pac-12 had no choice they tried with espn they tried with fox they even tried with the discovery channel shark week or whatever it is and there were no takers nobody was interested in the pac-12 network or the pac-12 content at that time And so the Pac-12 decided to set out on its own, and the problem being that none of the presidents or chancellors, none of the people involved at conference headquarters had ever started a network before. So they made some mistakes. Obviously, we've all seen those, distribution included, and, you know, it's really been a mixed bag. And now, you know, as you pointed out as I was coming on, they've got no inventory now. All these games that are on the schedule currently prior to championship weekend are all going to be on ESPN or Fox or FS1. 
The championship game on December 18th will be carried by Fox. So that leaves five games that the Pac-12 Network will maybe be in play for. But I'm told ESPN, ABC will get first crack at those games. So it's going to be leftovers, maybe one or two games at most for the Pac-12 Network this season. So I think it's, it's pretty disappointing from, from a network standpoint. So, John, why? Why did none of the networks want to uh, partner up with the Pac-12 in that regard? I just think that you look at the national landscape, and we all care about Pac-12 sports. I care about it. I want it to be good. I watch it. But there just isn't an appetite nationally in, in the same way that the SEC or the Big Ten in particular, and maybe a lot of the Big 12 schools currently, they've got a real passion for their teams. You look at the sizes of the stadiums. Stadiums in the Big Ten and in the SEC are larger than most of the stadiums in the Pac-12. You look at the fan bases, even with direct TV mess, we're all frustrated by it. Can you imagine LSU and Alabama fans and Georgia fans if they were told their games weren't going to be available on direct TV? They would have thrown Molotov cocktails through the windows. I just think it's a supply-demand thing, and the Pac-12 is viewed largely by those networks as a leftover or an add-on. And, and if they were going to partner with the Pac-12, uh, th- that would be one thing. But I think they were far more interested in just carrying some games, and that's ultimately what they decided to do. They didn't want to televise all of the Olympic sports or the women's basketball. There's just no demand for that. So, I mean, that begs the question then, well, I, I guess maybe it doesn't, that, that why they invested so much in the in the network if they knew ultimately it was going to not be a moneymaker. I mean, you've you've reported about it for a long time. I mean, the, the offices in downtown San Francisco, Larry Scott himself double dipping right up until right up to, you know, during the pandemic where they all bonused each other out uh, on an executive level. I mean, that that seems like that continued behavior becomes even more egregious. Yeah, and I think it's obscene, really. I mean, you know, and I think the the dirty little secret is that the presidents and chancellors in 2009 weren't as savvy or weren't as tuned in to what athletics could be as the president and chancellors are today. Like, this is a different animal. The chancellor and president of today recognizes, hey, there's a few hundred million dollars in sports that's untapped. In 2009, as we look back, they were just happy to be on ESPN. They were happy to have a deal with Fox. And and Larry Scott, the conference commissioner, if you give him credit for anything, I mean, he's just done a really good job of negotiating his own deal. He's got control of the bonuses. So when he bonused himself out and before he laid off and furloughed people, it was, you know, he didn't need approval from the presidents and chancellors to do that. That was already in the fiscal budget. So you know, he's he's out now. He's making rounds on radio shows across the Pac-12 footprint, and he's changing the narrative a little bit. He's saying, well, the decision to be in the Bay Area was made before I was hired. And it's true. They were in Walnut Creek with their headquarters. But for people who know the Bay Area, there's a big difference between downtown San Francisco and Walnut Creek or Fremont or Sunnyvale. When Google decided to put its campus in the Bay Area, they didn't go to downtown San Francisco. They couldn't afford it. They went to Milpitas and Sunnyvale, you know, 30 to 40 miles away from there where they could afford the real estate. And it's, it's, the Pac-12 should not be doing things that Google doesn't think are good for business. So, John, what happens next? I mean, you have reported on this stuff, and we really do appreciate your reporting like, like Jake was talking about. But can Larry Scott weather this storm much longer? I mean, all of it's not his fault, but there's quite a bit of it that is his fault. Uh, is he going to get dumped? 
he's positioned himself now as, look, I'm not the czar. I'm not in charge here. And if you listen to him talk, you know, he's talking about a lot of decisions that were made collectively. And I'm just more or less he's acting as if he were the spokesperson. But we know that's not the act that a good commissioner casts in the Big 12 with Bob, you know, Bill Bowlesby and in, in the SEC with Greg Sankey. You've got leaders who uh, care a lot about the campuses, who spend a lot of time on those campuses, who understand those campuses. Larry Scott's contract is up in the summer of 2022. I believe that the commissioner will be uh, probably out of work uh, sometime next spring. I think they have to move on him before the negotiations for the media rights deals begin, and those rights deals begin in 2024. So you have to give yourself uh, sort of a lead-up in there. And he's going to say, you know, I'm just following the directives of the chancellors and the presidents. But what the Pac-12 needed was real leadership. He just hasn't brought it. I think the next commissioner will be a correction for that. It'll be somebody very tied to campuses, somebody who's got experience leading conferences. Wouldn't be surprised to see the Pac-12 go after a Bob Bowlesby in the Big 12 and try to bring him back. You know, he started at Stanford. So I think there's some opportunities there for the presidents and chancellors to, to fix this and get it right. Follow-up uh, question for you, John. Did did Larry Scott ever pay back that loan for his house? No. He still owes $1.9 million, has not made a single payment. Conference gave him the loan interest-free when it hired him. He positioned that as, well, I'm going to have to live in the Bay Area. I'm going to need a loan for my home. He, you know, he saw that as a cost, right? And so he, you know, he can't say that he didn't recognize the cost of being in the Bay Area. He chose a home on uh, four acres in Blackhawk. It's a community that is upscale in Danville. Got a private airstrip next to it. He's living nice, and he's got a $1.9 million home that he purchased when he was hired that's now worth about $600,000 more than what he paid for it. So there's a nice little bonus that he'll get on the end. Uh, you, you talked a little bit about what to do now, and I, I kind of want to pick your brain about that a little bit because we know they at least explored uh, selling a 10% uh, stake in the Pac-12 networks. And uh, according to your column, you, you, you talked about uh, $500 million for that 10% stake. It did not work. Is there, I, I would guess, a, a network that's only airing one, maybe two football games probably isn't at the, he, uh, at the peak of its value right now. Is there a plan to do something? Are they stuck with, with the network as is? Where do they go from here? Well, they're kind of stuck. And I think they take great pride in televising basketball, women's basketball in particular. The conference has been just lights out in the women's basketball scene. And the coaches will all tell you that the network has been a huge ally with recruiting. There aren't any other conferences in Power Five that can say, hey, you can tune in and watch your kids or your kids will be on TV every time they play. So women's college basketball has enjoyed the Pac-12 network. Problem is it's not a revenue generator. So they're stuck right now. I'm told today that they informed 50 employees who were furloughed that they're coming back. And they're bringing them back not to work on football games because there aren't any. They're bringing them back to work on basketball. So I think they're going to try to make a strong push in fulfilling their obligations with basketball. They're committed to televising the women's and men's conference games. They've got advertisers and sponsors who have already paid their money and signed their contracts, so they have to fulfill those deals. So they're stuck there. Beyond that, the long-term thing is I see a lot of posturing, right? They're, they keep talking about Apple or Amazon. Uh, they came out and said that ESPN had offered to partner with them moving forward, and they turned them down. I thought that was really curious timing 
because they were, they were trying to talk to Apple at the same time. So I think they were trying to generate some interest. And certainly that private equity thing was a real eye-opener. There just weren't any takers. You know, at, at that valuation, there's no takers. It's just not a good deal. And I, I, I expect whoever the next commissioner is will have to make a very hard decision on leading the conference forward with a network of its own, maybe uh, selling the network to ESPN or FS1 or somebody, or maybe folding it up and saying, this wasn't such a good idea. It's costing us 8 to $9 million a year in rent alone. This is just not a moneymaker for us in, in deciding just to go with football and major basketball games on TV. Check me if I'm wrong on the timeline here, John, but does some of this explain why Larry Scott was going after Texas and Oklahoma back in back around that same period that uh, that folks weren't interested in them? Uh, is does that are those two things tied together? There's also a little, you know, there's a little backstory that goes into Texas. There's a company that is called Legend Labs that the Pac-12 consults with and has hired over the last decade to do crisis management and branding and has spent uh, upwards of you know more than a million dollars with over 10 years in consulting fees alone. It's owned by a guy named Jeff Hunt who runs it. He's a PR guy. He's a huge Texas booster and donor, and he's one of Larry Scott's best friends. So Jeff Hunt, at different points here, has been uh, mixed up with the Pac-12, in business with the Pac-12. And it's really interesting to me because I felt like while Texas really brought something to the table from the beginning, Texas has the Longhorn Network. They control their own rights. So that was a big deal breaker ultimately because it wasn't going to come in and want to share revenue with the rest of the Pac-12. It had its own revenue. It's created its own empire. It's that big. So I felt like that deal may have been a little tied to Larry's personal relationship with Jeff Hunt and his desire to bring Texas into the fold. And I never really felt like it was serious, but they, they certainly went to great lengths to try to bring Texas in because they saw that as a potential recruiting win, you know, bigger footprint. And it was legitimacy. It was along with USC, Texas, you know, brought brand to the table that the Pac-12 didn't yet have. John, last thing for me, and just switching it up uh, a little bit, I, I thought I'd uh, ask you about Justin Herbert, considering he's been playing so well lately, and you covered him for a long time. And the times I interviewed him, I, I was extraordinarily impressed. I love his stories from Eugene, a hometown kid, and came back uh, to Oregon for, for his senior year and was up and down, really smashed the Utes, obviously, in the, in the Pac-12 title game last year. But what do you think about the success he's having early on? It's frustrating to me because I, I'm looking at how good he looks, and he looks capable of carrying any team in America in college. Had you, you know, taken that talent and really utilized it, I think, you know, how do you lose a game? I look at Oregon's season, and you know, I was frustrated on a week-to-week basis. You know, here was a kid that was not allowed to come out and get any kind of rhythm. The offensive coordinator at Oregon really wanted to run the football. They wanted to play you know, controlling football, time of possession, let's play defense, let's control the line of scrimmage, and that's great, that's your identity. But it really felt like Oregon wasted Justin Herbert, and I think we're watching that now on a weekly basis because he's, you know, with the Chargers, he's he's out there now, uh, you know, five touchdowns and one interception in the last two weeks, and, you know, he hasn't won games against Drew Brees and Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes, but he's been right in there with those guys, which is a lot of fun to watch, but... 
it wasn't really until that Pac-12 title game that Oregon let him loose. And I, I, I suspect that's part of why Utah struggled a little bit because they finally let Justin Herbert run. They let him a little free in that game, and I think we got a chance to see what he could be in that game. And I don't think Utah saw it coming because Oregon hadn't done it all year. John, uh, my last question is this. Utah has been a part of the Pac-12 now for a decade or so, or coming up on that. And I'm curious to know uh, a fresh set of eyes from the outside looking at the contributions Utah has made to the Pac-12. How, what are the advantages and disadvantages uh, that the Utes have created with the conference from your seat? I think Utah has been an absolute win for the Pac-12, getting Utah on board, bringing in a fan base that's passionate. Look around the conference. Oregon, even as passionate as that fan base is, is not talking about expanding Autzen Stadium. And, in fact, you know, they're, they, were, they're, they were working really hard last year, even with a 12-win team, to get tickets sold down the stretch. And they did it, but it wasn't easy. They're not adding 4,000 seats or 5,000 seats. The fact that Utah has a fan base that's rabid and growing and has a demand to be inside the stadium is a huge win for the conference. Kyle Whittingham's a winner. He's sniffed around it. I'm sure at some point he's going to break through, and I know he wants to break through. Uh, I just talked to him last week, and, you know, he's, he's said his players are focused on, you know, being close twice isn't good enough, and I love that mentality. So I think Utah's been a huge win. Colorado's been a little bit of a disappointment. Obviously, they haven't been competitive on the field or not as competitive as Utah, certainly. But I think Utah is a major win for the Pac-12. It needed, with Stanford in this conference and Cal in this conference and some others, it needed a program that, you know, fans are clamoring to be in the stadium, and I think that's great for the conference. John, we always appreciate it when you make a few moments for us. Thank you very much. Keep up the good work. I appreciate you guys, and I appreciate the Utah fans. I mean, they're just it's been a lot of fun to see a rabid fan base in a conference that needed that. Thanks, John. Thank you, guys. That's our friend John Canzano from the Oregonian. He also does uh, radio up there in the middays and does a great job. And uh, we appreciate him taking some time to, to jump on with us. And I, I agree with him there. I, I think the Utes, from an enthusiasm standpoint, have, have been a good thing for the league. They, they, you heard him say right there the league needed a, a fan base to give it a little bit of a jolt because, you know, some of those other programs have a tough time gaining that sort of enthusiasm. Yeah, and uh, that, yeah, certainly Utah has uh, has created that. It'll be interesting to see what happens moving forward. How how competitive the Utes will be over the longer haul. You know, it's uh, yeah. I mean, football wise, you've all you got to do is go back and trace the progress. It's right there in front of you. Yeah. All right, uh, we are live. <clears throat> excuse me from RGS Exteriors. Jumping on with us once again is uh, our friend Ross, the general manager here at RGS. Uh, we talked about the James Hardy siding, uh, or I, I guess siding, right? Is right. that the proper terminology? It's concrete Correct. based. Yes, it's yes yeah, siding. <laughs> I, I always think of aluminum siding, but but anyway, point being, you guys do brick, you do stone. We can do all of that. James Hardy is the kind of the hot thing, and and something you guys are proud of. But really, you can do it all. Yeah, full exterior company. Um, the only thing we don't do is roofs. We refer some roofers, but we don't we don't do that ourselves. Uh, maybe someday, but as of right now, we <laughs> choose not to do that. But um, but yeah, full exteriors. We do. We have a stucco division. We have a stone division. Uh, also, they do brick, and then our siding division, which is the siding, the soffit, fascia. We also install windows. Um, so we can do the full exterior package for you. Um, gutters, of course, leaf protections. 
uh, heat cable. So yeah, kind of, a, and we have a lot of installers and we're always looking for installers. So if there's someone out there that, you know, wants to join our team, we, we pride ourselves in uh, taking care of our guys. Uh, we, we try to pay better and, than anybody and we have a ton of work for, for the guys. So, you know, we, there's never a worry about whether I have a job for the next day, there's always the work and we, we do incentives, we do bonuses, you know, one of the a couple of things we do. And I don't know if the guys are out there, they're listening to sports radio. They, they might be sports fans, but we do jazz tickets, real salt lake tickets, stuff for our guys. We do, you know, this is a place we want them to, to want to come to work. Um, you know, we, you, when you see one of our crews, you recognize them. Uh, you, they're, they're in our RGS gear. Uh, they wear it with pride because they want it. They're happy to work for a company like ours, and we, we want them to feel that way. And we try to compensate them accordingly and make it feel like a family environment. We care about them. And, uh, you know, in my division, some of my guys have been working, uh, you know, eight, nine years for the same, you know, and that's, that's hard to get. And, and we really, we love these guys. Uh, we appreciate the loyalty and we try to make it worth their while. Well, you yourself, what'd you say earlier? 21 years? 21. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I guess wow. that's true. I'm an employee. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you've been with the, with the, right. with the company 21 right. years. Yeah. That's and I mean, the first, you know, the first seven or eight years of that I was, I was an installer. So. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, you, you you know, you, you must be doing something right or you wouldn't be here 21 years, right? Correct. All right. Check them out, rgsutahsiding.com, rgsutahsiding.com. Thanks, Ross. We appreciate you. Yep. All right. We'll have more Big Show coming up straight ahead. Stay tuned, 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 975, 12 zone live from RGS Exteriors. Thank you very much for making us part of your day. Big thanks to John Canzano for jumping on with us in the last segment. Gordon, I thought he was really good. I, I thought his column yesterday was really, really good, and uh, it was good to have him on to kind of uh, go in uh, in a little bit more depth on uh, exactly what uh, has transpired over the last decade with the Pac-12 and where they go from here. Two things about John. One is he ha- he knows what's going on. He's got terrific sources. He's created that pipeline of information. And then he's unafraid to analyze it and uh, make judgment on what's, what's taken place. And that's evident in both his column and uh, imagine on his radio show. If you're a fan of the Pac-12, that would probably be fairly fun to listen to. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I've heard it before. He does. Uh, he does a, a terrific job. I, I was interested in his thoughts on where the league goes from here, and you heard him talk about it as as far as the Pac-12 networks go. And, he, and you heard him talk about it, and there's really nothing they can do. They're stuck. Because right now, especially, they don't have a, a tremendous amount of value. They still you know, uh, are, are talking about how they value putting women's basketball on, on TV, which I, I get it. Um, but as far as it's, it's going to continue to be a money pit, it would appear, for the foreseeable future. Looks like it. Yep. And uh, I don't – these are complicated questions. How is the Pac-12 going to crawl its way out of this hole? Uh, I don't know if they're going to crawl their way out of this hole. Yeah. I don't know. I, it doesn't sound like Larry Scott's the one to lead them out anyway. But they can't really fix – Here, here's the thing. It, it, they can't really fix the problems that they have. 
they can fix little things like we brought up in the in the show about where they pay rent and those sorts of things, but they can't really fix the enthusiasm problem. They can't fix really the population issue of, of how many people are, are uh, in their footprint. And this goes into the late start times. And they can talk about how, oh, they're going to they're gonna think about that during their next round of negotiations. No, they're not. That's the most valuable <laughs> thing they've got right now is that they can play late at night in a, in a t- uh, uh, what are they, a TV window that uh, nobody else can play in. That's, that's the bulk of their value right there. I shouldn't say the bulk because that's probably not true. But, I mean, you know, we're not, that, that problem is not going to get any better. Well, I, yeah, I, I, I just, I don't have the answers, but I can sure see the problems. And this is what's strange about what you just said, Jake. Every time I've ever had the opportunity in group settings to interview Larry Scott, and you ask him the tough questions about these very real issues, he would gloss them over. You know, like they really weren't problems. And I wonder, was that just a public relations stunt, or is that sort of a lack of vision of what really is going on and what needs to take place to fix it? He's a salesman. I mean, I, I think that's what it is. Hmm. Uh, truly. I, well, I yeah, he's, but he's I, and I understand. He's got to sell. Yeah, and I understand that to a certain level. But, man, you, you've got to, at some point in time, You've got to make a checklist of all the very serious problems that need fixing and then go about, no matter how difficult or how painful it is, you've got to find a way to get them taken care of. And and Uh, sticking your head in the sand or pretending they don't exist isn't going to do anything but make it worse. I once, this is what I, this is what I think Larry Scott is, Gordon. Let me see if I can, I can, uh, I can describe it to you via anecdote from my personal life. All right. Uh, when I was 16 years old, um, I, my father had handed down to me his 1987 Honda Accord. And uh, <laughs> within six months, I'd say, of, of having my driver's license, I smashed that car. Uh, smashed and, it. Uh, I, I smashed it. I smashed it. Good. And I got a, an insurance check out of it and, um, you know, had to go through the process of buying uh, another used vehicle. And let's just say the insurance check was not much. And so my selection was a tad bit limited. And uh, the, the dealerships that were in my price range uh, were a little off the beaten path, if you know what I'm saying. And I remember this specific car lot that we went to. And it still exists today, by the way, so I won't throw out the name. But I remember this specific lot that we went to. And the guy, his, his catchphrase was, this is a beautiful car. And it seemed like every hunk of bolts that i pointed at <laughs> oh man this is just a beautiful car i mean like, like a car that that was missing you know like like doors oh this is just a beautiful car i mean uh, you, you would love this car it owned, it one owner and it was a, an 89 year old man who, uh, who who drove it uh, twice in its entire existence and it's like really really because the car i'm looking at looks like it's worth about 500 bucks and it was uh, it was uh, involved in a, a monster truck rally last week, uh, but but that's what Larry Scott is. You know, you you point at you point at this network that nobody wants. Oh, this is the wave of the future. I mean, this is just amazing. We retain all of our uh, all of our broadcasting rights, and man, we're going to be printing money with this thing. 
And it's like, well, if that's the case, why did nobody want to buy it? Oh, no, don't, don't, uh, we're not even going to tell you about that. <laughs> I mean, that's what the guy is. He's just a salesman. He's not a good leader. He's just a salesman. Well. And I that... say just a salesman, not that there aren't, like, a lot of great salesmen or women, for that matter, that are that are out there. But, I mean, it just feels like he's always selling. Yeah. I'll, uh, well, uh, that's certainly been my experience. And uh, because it's kind of like you would ask a tough question, and what would you get back? You would get back the Conference of Champions crap. Right. I, I mean, even right down to the the last um, Pac-12 media days that we were able to uh, we were able to attend, um, everybody was anxious or eager, I should I suppose, to talk to Larry Scott because a lot of these football uh, problems had been reported by a lot by John Canzano, and uh-huh. his his deflection to each one was, well, you should uh, see how the women's lacrosse uh, team at Cal is playing. You know, it just yeah. ducking everything and like, oh well. We've won uh, 16 national championships last week. True, they're in sports you've never heard of, but we're still winning. You know, everyone wants to talk about football, but let's talk about uh, water polo, you know? It's It's true. (laughs) That's what he does. Yeah. And And I don't think he's particularly good at it because there's a part of that in every commissioner, right? I mean, there's a part of the job where you've got to, you know, sell what you got. But there's also a part of the job where you've got to put the conference in the best position to succeed. (laughs) I think ultimately that's your job. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it just, I don't know. It feels fake, I guess. You know, he's always. Well, the problems are real, unfortunately. So, (laughs) you know, it's funny because utah regardless of all of this is in a better place than it was prior to getting invited into the pac-12 but when you comparatively uh what the conference is relative to the other p5s is is got to be troubling and i i've told you a thousand times about that letter i got from a a former uh, school president in the pac-12 and the, the a whole list of problems spelled out that that president was aware of. And I'm surprised that uh, I was surprised at the lack of action in the meantime. Well, I don't, that that's the thing. And, and Canzano hinted about this in, in his column, you know, when you don't know what you're doing, <laughs> that what action are you talking about? It appears that, that, not only does, does Larry Scott and the leadership of the Pac-12 not know what they were doing and, and didn't know what they were doing back in uh, in 2009 and, and still don't, but even the consultants they hire don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you say, well, do something, well, if they don't know what they're doing, then what are they going to do? It's <laughs> a great question. So, uh, I, I mean, you know, we can go way back and blame the presidents for hiring Larry in the first place and not doing a better job making that hire. But, um, I, you know, the league has been run, it seems, by somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. It's kind of like with Lynn Swans, the AD at USC, and you look at their entire sports program and you go, boy, it doesn't look like Lynn knows what he was doing. Probably because he didn't know what he was doing. I wonder at one point, um, maybe we've already passed that point, where Utah fans will stop being grateful for the invitation under Larry Scott and will start being critical. I, I, I've heard enough feedback from Utah fans who are upset uh, with the way things have been handled where, you know, okay, well, we got invited in, but uh, now uh, now we're, 
we're comparatively behind uh, many other teams that are in P5 conferences. So, yeah, I, maybe maybe that ship has sailed. Well, that's why they've got to make the decision on what to do, which I would guess that, that Larry might be on his way out. But you, you never know. Maybe he's he's selling it. He got that job in the first place somehow. Well, I think he knows the writing is on the wall, and he's doing everything he can to protect himself moving forward. Hence, uh, you know, getting that bonus situation all taken care of himself as others are being laid off and furloughed. Ah, unbelievable. How out of touch is that? That's that's one of the most amazing stories of the year. And it was a huge amount of money, you know? (laughs) Getting ready to furlough and lay off everybody. Well... Better bonus myself out. You know who we have. It's hard work furloughing people. (laughs) You know who we have to blame for all of this. Truly, who? The Williams sisters. (laughs) Because uh, they helped Larry reach his point where he could be hired by the Pac-12. So Larry ran the WTA before the Pac-12, right? And basically, the the WTA interest in the WTA exploded in this country because of the Williams sisters. Uh-huh. And maybe some other players deserve some credit for that, too. But the WTA, you know, certainly was successful because of those two players and how good they were and their story and their personalities and all of that. And Larry Scott took credit for all of that and parlayed that into a job at the Pac-12. So if the Williams sisters sucked a little bit more, uh, maybe he wouldn't have gotten all that credit. Good point. Huh? It's Serena's fault. <laughs> if she wasn't okay. so good, maybe the Pac-12 wouldn't be saddled with Larry. You know, didn't Larry go to Harvard or something? Yeah, he played tennis at Harvard. Have Have you known really, 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 uh, well, I'm going to say this. People who have gone to prestigious schools who really aren't that smart. Um, okay, I, I don't know. Outside of Aunt Becky from Full House? <laughs> yeah. oh, wow, that or was William USC, H. Macy's kid? Right? <laughs> uh, is, you know what? I don't know about smarts of Ivy Leaguers. Um, I don't know a, a ton of them personally. But I will say that they wouldn't. Uh, Larry wouldn't be the first Ivy Leaguer to be completely uh, out of touch with you know your normal rank-and-file human. Well, he certainly was smart enough to make himself a whole lot of cash by pulling the wool over on the Pac-12. Is he smart or just a narcissist? <laughs> well, he, he made himself a decent amount of money, and he got a loan for his house for $1.9 million that he hasn't paid. And uh, you think that's ever going to get paid? Well, so hold, on, hold the phone for a second. Does that sound like the actions of a not smart man? Yeah, that's wait, what I'm wait saying. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're going to give me you're going to give me a free house? Oh yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Sure. Yeah. Sounds mm. like kind of a smarter guy to me actually. <laughs> well, just maybe it, not it, just maybe not a good leader. I thought at some point the you know, the bill came due. I don't think that bill's coming due ever, man. He's just going to sell the house that he took 1.9 million of somebody else's money for and keep the 600 grand in in equity uh, boost they gave him an interest free loan in perpetuity gordon let me translate that for you they bought him that house that seems well, like the pac 12s well, uh, attorneys need to be fired actually whoever's writing their contracts an interest free house yeah i don't know it didn't uh, didn't utah uh, pay for rick majerus's suite down there at the hotel that's not a house. 
free room and board. Um, all right, I just read. I read a story. I read a story during the break that San Francisco apartment rents have uh, plunged like thirty percent. Is that true? So now they're only eight thousand a month. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> all right. All right, coming up next, we've got the Not Sports Port. Bowler is uh, with us at 5, live at RGS Exteriors. More of the big show straight ahead, 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Check this out. And now, your Not Sports Report on 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Turn out the lights. The party's over. They say that all good things must end. Shout out to CVU, who wanted uh, this song on a Total Request Tuesday. Uh, Austin's themes, uh, theme today is uh, I'm Over It. Whatever that means to you, what song do you listen to when you're over it? Uh, it's time for the Not Sports Port, brought to you by the LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles and inventory. Shop online, lhmusedcars.com. Gordon, where are we going today? I've got uh, I've got five items on my list here, real quick. Oh, so bust them. We got Bowler get... at five, so we. I know, I know, I know, but I want to get your thought on each one, okay? I want to get your quick reaction. All right. Okay. All right. Today is National No Bra Day. Apparently, uh, it's to bring awareness and fundraising and to honor those who fight breast cancer. That's awesome. Second story, two officers in Florida were called by a dispatcher to the scene of a car and pedestrian accident at 4 o'clock in the morning. And uh, they went to the general area of the scene, and in searching for the dead pedestrian, they drove over the man's body in the middle of the road. That's awful. Austin, no comment there? No. Moving on. A survey (laughs) by, I believe it's in part by uh, Google Trends, named Utah and every other state's favorite Halloween candy. This happens. You see these every year. But this year, uh, let me just give you some examples. Colorado, Airheads. Oregon, Reese's Pieces. Wyoming, Hershey's Kisses, standard stuff, right? Idaho, Milk Duds, Uh, Nevada, Kit Kat Bars, and uh, let's see. You know what Utah's was? I'll give you you one guess each. Saltwater Taffy. What are those uh, those puffy peeps things? Peeps. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever met anybody in my life who likes peeps. No one that's not a serial killer. Is it peeps? No. Dang it. Very standard. Three musketeers. Oh, come oh. on. That's not. I, I, can we believe this? That's the candy that no one takes from the middle and you get left with it. <laughs> who wants that? That's what they said. Utah, three musketeers. That's a lie. Hmm. Uh, Number four, I want to revisit that hiker cougar story from yesterday that you uh, 
that you chastised me for not jumping on immediately in yesterday's non-sports report. I'd just like to point out that it made national news. Mm-hmm. It and did. We're, like we're last here. Network television. No, no, news. I mean, I was, I was getting to it. I was getting to it. started with a, a, a 37 guy who hours over, later. over-decorates his house on <laughs> yeah. Halloween. Oh. Well, uh, yeah, but the uh, the neighbors thought the house was burning down. Well, the the an over-decorator the on fu- Halloween with dumb neighbors. They, they, they called the fire department. Um, no, I went back and rewatched that video, and I'm telling you, it freaked me out more the second time than it did the first. And the guy, his reaction was, he was so cool and calm, you're right. You don't take off running because then the cat is coming after you, right? So he was backing up, just filming it. But did you hear his commentary? Uh, go away, stupid kitty cat? Uh, I, I, he he was calm under pressure. I would have. I don't know what I would have done, especially when the cat cat started to you know it, bring its paws up and it was running on its hind legs. And I'm thinking I'm a dead man at that point. And that guy just kept on moving, steady, nothing didn't run, just steadily moved away. Man, I, I, if I were him, I would think, yeah, I'm I'm about to die. Well, he, uh, you know, bent down to pick up that rock. He should have done that a while earlier, maybe. Isn't that when the cat started looking like it was going to pounce on him? No, at the very end, he bent down to pick up the rock, Uh and the cat got scared and ran off. There was a great thread from a cougar expert, a mountain lion expert, that said the man did pretty well for someone who apparently doesn't have, you know, expert training in the area. But he said the difference was that cat was – could have at any point ended the guy's life and wasn't interested in it. Hence, it didn't. It was escorting him away from her kitten slash cubs, who he had walked upon and disturbed, whether on purpose or not, and that that cat was actually just trying to get him away. And as soon as he picked up that rock, the cat was always going to run away. And so if you do come into this uh, scenario, don't crouch down. Find something at arm level, pick it up, and make yourself really big and loud, and the cat will run away. When you and, say uh, don't crouch down, what do you mean? Don't you have to bend over to pick the rock? No, up? you saw he was he was walking up a hill, and there was stuff uh, to his left and to his right at times that was at eye level he could have grabbed. I see. And you heard the guy say, "Go back to your babies" a bunch of times. Yep. So, uh, you know. Anyway, yeah, it was, uh, it was intense, no doubt. No doubt. And then the final thing is here: Are you guys going to spoil your kids? <laughs> no. I know. I know. Jake wants to uh, uh, put Sadie to work as soon as possible. Uh, you know, to, in order to earn her keep. How about you, Austin? I don't think I have a say in any matter at my home. So, no. Yes, whatever I'm told. LeBron James bought his six-year-old daughter this big old playhouse that uh, the original author that I saw indicated that it was bigger than his New York City apartment. Is that taking it too far? Yep. Uh, yeah, well, obviously, that's taking it way too far. But it also is a, a kind of a comment on, I have no idea how people who live in Manhattan actually do it. How they actually <laughs> uh, willingly live in a shoebox for their entire life and, and pay like 3500 bucks a month for the pleasure. Seems like I guess I'm not three. that much of a city person. I, I, that does not sound uh, appealing to me at all. But I know people who have absolutely loved it and who do love it, and that's why they pay it. 
Yeah, they're, they're not for me either. Not, not for this guy. Hmm. Well, that's it. I'm not. I, I kind of spoiled my kids a little bit. I think I did, but they uh, they did some good stuff uh, growing up to uh, do their part. So uh, I don't know whether that's spoiling or not. So Jake is going to make Sadie like uh, what Jake? If you if you, you want to for her birthday, does she have to earn her birthday gifts? Let me just put it this way: If I were to get Sadie a, a playhouse like LeBron got his uh, his uh, daughter, that would come with a mortgage at current interest <laughs> rates. <laughs> so, in other words, then you would give her an allowance and then extract what fifty percent? No, no, no. She could do what she wants with her money, but she's got a she's got a mortgage payment every month. You got to cover that. And uh, Naz is willing to go along with your uh, nonsense? Sure. Well, why not? I, you know, she get to decide if she wanted a, a 30-year, 15, 20. Could do some adjustable interest rates. But, you know, I'm teaching her a lesson here, Gordon. What, nothing's free in life? Yeah, exactly. Got to work. Got to earn it. And, and, and if you buy her a bike, is she going to have to make payments on that too? Depends on what age. Uh under five, no. Over five, oh, yeah. Where did you, did your mom and dad teach you this kind of stuff, or is this something you came to on your own? This is me. Uh, and I guess I'm trying to get to the root of where this attitude came from. Uh, it's called good parenting. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. I have a book. Right. It's, it's, it's called the New England Journal of Parenting. <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's really good. It's really accurate. Some great advice in there. They've got a whole uh, section Austin, on mortgages. Based on what you've seen out of Jake, how do you think this is going to work out? Uh, swimmingly, uh, yeah. it would be my, my guess, unless it's not. Thanks, buddy. All right, we've got Bowler coming up right around the corner. Stay tuned. But uh, Ross, the general manager here at uh, RGS Exteriors, uh, joins us once again. And let's let's talk a little bit about gutters uh, uh, again uh, because uh, this is your wheelhouse, and uh, people might be dealing with a lot of gutter gutter stuff this time of year. Sure, there's a lot of things to deal with. You know, got the leaves starting to fall. Uh, people start thinking about, oh wait, remember last year when I had leaky gutters and it caused ice problems? You know, that's this is the time of year everybody starts to panic. Either they're finishing up a project or they start to uh, recognize new problems. It's a it's the time that everybody starts to call. So. Uh, you know, a little urgency in your step now. You got to you got to get on the schedule now. We, you know, our salesmen are busy. Um, so if you if you're looking to get something done on your home this year, uh, the the best thing to do is call around and and see who can get out there. And we're we're glad to hook you up. We'll get send someone your way, and we do free estimates certainly. And whether it's gutters, whether you know, like like Jake was saying earlier, if we get out there to fix your leaky gutters or to give you get you new gutters, and we find out that it was actually your roof. Or maybe a flashing issue that was causing those leaks. We're going to tell you, you know, we're going to tell you that uh, that you need to call a roofer, or we'll refer you to a roofer and and let you know that what your real problems are. But uh, uh, urgency is there this time of year for sure. RG, uh, check them out online, rgsutahsiding.com, rgsutahsiding.com, and, and yeah, I can back you up on that. That's exactly what was my experience, and I appreciate that, and I'm sure all your customers do too, because you want to come back after all, right? 
All right, rgsutahsighting.com, rgsutahsighting.com. Thanks, Ross. Uh, all right, coming up next, Bowler is going to join us. Stay tuned, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.